listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Joe. I'm a member here at Mountain City, also one of the elders here at the church. And we're going to continue our journey through the book of Luke, and we're going to continue in chapter 12. So let me pray for us, and we will dive in. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for gathering us together. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, that is the basis for, for all that we can rejoice in, is because you have saved us. That's just remarkable. Father, I pray today as we look at your word, look at Jesus teaching those around him, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will allow us to hear with ears, to hear what you have to say. Lord, that we will examine our lives and, and just look at what Jesus is saying. And Lord, if we need to repent, we will repent. Lord, if we need to rejoice, we rejoice. Lord, I just pray that you would have your will with us over this next time together. My Lord, I ask for your help. Lord, we thank you so much that we have your word and that you have saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been walking through chapter 12, Jesus has been teaching us some different things. He's taught us how to reorient our fears. He's taught us to be rich towards God. He's taught us last week not to be anxious. Today, Jesus is going to teach us about his return, that one day he is going to return. So he has some things to say about this as he's teaching, you know, not only um, the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers, because if you, if you begin chapter 12 here, you can see that there is a, a plethora of people that he's teaching to, right? Because it says, in the meantime, so he just got done talking to the Pharisees and lawyers and, and um, the woes to them. And then during the same time, all these people gather around him, his disciples are there. So he's teaching them all these things and all these people are around. And so now he turns to the subject, or the topic, if you will, of his return. Acts 1, 10, and 11 shows us and tells us, this is the word of God, that there is no doubt that he is returning again one day. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So one day, Jesus is returning. So the question he is asking you today is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? As Sam read the Psalms at the very end of the Psalm 70, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Psalm 96, we see how the psalmist is unpacking creation. Right? The, the psalmist begins by affirming God's rule and he ends by God's rule. Right? And towards the end of that psalm, he's showing us that God's rule, when his king returns, it will make everything the way it should be. It'll cause order in all of our disordered lives. Because no matter how, what you think, or maybe you're exploring Christianity, or you're a Christian, or even walking a long time for the Lord, we all have disordered lives. <laughs> and that's because of 
sin. Listen to the psalmist again. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So here you have creation crying out. The psalmist is saying that nature with all its glory, with the absolute awe of the Grand Canyon, with the majesty of the Swiss Alps, with the roaring sound of the, of the waves and the sea and the power of it crashing into rocky coast or the beach as we're sitting there getting the sun from the wonderful sun that God gave us. What the psalmist is trying to get us to see is they are just a foreshadow of what they will be when Christ returns. They are just a foreshadow. Like we see these things and we're in awe of them and, and, and the psalmist is saying, no, there's, when he returns, it's going to be even greater. Romans 8 tells us that nature is kind of standing on its tiptoes. It's stretching out its neck. It's yearning and it's waiting for Jesus to come. Just to get a, a glimpse of that great day. Why? Romans 8, 20 through 23 tells us, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So here we have creation eagerly waiting, and we should also be eagerly waiting. What Paul just told us is nature is freed from corruption, and so will all of us. When the king lays his hand on us and his, and his power comes over us, we will finally receive the glorious liberty of the children of God. What will we receive? Finally, finally, the elimination of the presence of sin. See, let me just talk to you for a minute. The elimination of the presence of sin. A couple of you, I was like, amen. Some of you probably said amen and aren't quite vocal, right? But I should have been shouted down. Because if, if you understand that your biggest problem in life is sin, <laughs> that Jesus has, has, has cured it, he's, he's paid the penalty, took the wrath for you, and that one day you will no longer have the presence of sin, you should be shouting. We should be striving for that. Maybe, maybe sometimes our, let me just talk to you for a minute. Maybe sometimes our Christianity is a hymn hall thing here on earth because we're not looking to the prize. We're, we're not straining for the prize as Paul told us, right? He said, run the race like you want to win the race. That is the winning of the race. That sin will no longer be present with you. I mean, we have athletes in here who know that, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. is not very fun. Just like whenever we suffer in this life or as we trod through this life. But they know as, as they, they get up at 6 a.m. And they, and, they, and they work out and they practice and they do things. There's a goal in mind that they get to go play a game and they might win. 
There, there's, there's two ladies in our church that, that ran a half marathon. Now, do you think that, that they loved after dealing with kids and going to work and doing all that all day and it's time to go and run so they can train for it? Do you think that was fun? No, it was hard, but they saw the prize. See, none of us can, can live our lives without something that we're looking towards. And Jesus has given us the greatest thing on the planet to look towards. That is a life without the presence of sin. That's the life without the presence of sin. We should just, maybe if we put our gaze on that, wow, how much, maybe even some of the sin that we keep on stumbling about will, will fall away because our, our prize is on that and it's not looking over here and it's not look over there. So, you know what, our, our eyes are straightforward. Maybe it's just, he was challenging me this week. Maybe he was just challenging me this week. But man, God has done so much to, to one day we get to, we get to exist, because we're going to live forever without the presence of sin. This should be the drive of our life. This is, this is what would be motivating us each and every day. Is, is we're running the race as one who wants to win the race. As a child of God, we should just be yearning for that day. That day should govern our life today, and that is what Jesus wants to talk to us about today. That day when he comes, how will he find you? Will you be ready? Now, it, it seems like when, when church folk talks, starts talking about Jesus' return, right, things can get a little squirrely. Many times, everything is centered on when Jesus will return, trying to predict when that will happen. And we know there's thousands and thousands of books written that way, and it's amazing that thousands and thousands of books have been wrong, but yet someone will go still pick up another book and pay their $25 for that person to be wrong too. Just saying. The other weird thing, and, and some people just completely ignore the fact that he's coming again. I mean, after all, that's talking about judgment. Like, because even at the end of the psalm, he said, like, he's going to come and judge. Yes, he is. So as if you're sitting here in Christ today, okay, he's going to come and judge. But because I'm in Christ, Christ's righteousness is credited to me, that's what he sees, I'm good to go. But it also should make us fearful in, in the sense of awe-free fearfulness and meaning that those that don't know him we should be afraid for them. We should be desiring to tell them about how they can miss that judgment. Right? That, that we should, should want to tell them and share the good news of the gospel with them. So there's kind of two ways that we seem to go whenever we start talking about when Jesus comes. Right? We want to predict a time or we're just going to ignore it. Like live in light that it isn't going to happen. Now, maybe we should think of it differently. Maybe we should think of it differently. Tim Keller says it this way. I, just, I was thinking of a way to sell it, and I say it, and I stumbled across this, and he says this. The point of the Bible's teaching on the second coming of Christ is not to help us define that day, but how that day will find us. How will that day find us? Which is exactly what, what Jesus is going to be talking about today. 
How will that day find you? So not so much worrying about when it's coming. Just know that Jesus can come at any time. Be more concerned about how Jesus will find you on that day. What will he find you doing? What will be, you know, the story of your life? That is the thrust of what Jesus is teaching today. Because Jesus has already told us, he told us that he has given us the kingdom. Because Jesus gives us the kingdom, we must be ready for his return. Because he has given us the kingdom, we must be ready for his return. How are we to be ready? Well, Jesus should find us, and this is the two things that we see in in our passage today, expectantly waiting and faithfully serving. Expectantly waiting and faithfully serving. To see what Jesus says here, starting in verse 35. Again, Jesus is, is speaking to the multitude here. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. See, Jesus should find us expectantly waiting for him. Jesus begins by imagining a master who has gone to celebrate a wedding. The feast and and dancing would last well into the night. Who could tell when the master will return? They're not sure. They're just expectantly waiting for his return. The servants were ready. The first thing Jesus says, they would be dressed for action. Now, the literal, literal Greek translation would say, gird up your loins, which, you know, they've changed it in some translations, some translations they haven't, just to try to help us to understand a little bit better. But, you know, the idea is, is they would wear longer robes that would go down to the ground. And whenever they're dressed for action, or rather they're getting ready for action, they would take the ends of their robes and tuck it into their belts so their legs are free to go and, and be about the business. That's the idea. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to uh, paint here. It'd be kind of like we say sometimes to say, okay, roll up your sleeves, get to work, right? Like you're ready. You're, you're dressed for action. So the servants were dressed for action and will keep the lamps burning. Remember, there's no light switches. <laughs> they had to have enough oil to keep the lamps burning so that when the master comes, he's coming in the third or second or third wash and we'll, we'll, we'll hit that real quick. But it is at nighttime. So we're not switching on the lights. We don't have spotlights. I mean, I know that Motel 6 has a motto. We, we will leave the light on for you. It's sort of like that, but there's more intentionality about it. That's just a motto. Jesus is saying, no, this is the way you should live. That the light should be burning. The lamps should be burning and waiting. There's intentionality about it. Like you're expectantly waiting for him. So the servants are dressed, their lamps have plenty of oil, and are ready to open the door to the master. It doesn't matter, again, for the second or third watch. Now, there's a couple different ideas here. You know, there's one, there's a Jewish idea, and then there's a Roman idea. Um, The Romans had four watches, the the Jews had three watches, but I can pretty much confidently tell you today that it's between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. That's what Jesus has had in mind, when it's going to be dark outside. Don't know when he's going to come back from this wedding because there's, you know, dancing and all these things happening, but they're ready. 
They're dressed, they're ready to serve. They have their lamps burning, they're waiting for him. Again, the point is not the exact time. The emphasis is that it is a perpetual watch. They're looking out the window, they're waiting. You know, kind of whenever your parents went out and you probably were doing some things you weren't supposed to and you're always checking and making sure, when, when's mom and dad getting back? Hey, I, I've been there. I'm not saying anything that I haven't done um, and been forgiven for, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's this idea of perpetual readiness. Now, let, let me just ask you a quick question, just try to give you one more illustration. Have you ever stayed at a Rich Carlton? No, I have not stayed at a real rich culture. But I did live in Naples, Florida, and our Domino's in North Naples that I managed would deliver to the Rich Carlton. Yes, people in Rich Carlton's order Domino's pizza. It's kind of a weird thing, but I had this young man. I mean, he used to be a linebacker for one of the schools in Florida. So, like, when he put on the Domino's uniform, like, the Domino's uniform was proud that he was wearing, and his name was Tommy. And Tommy was new and didn't see the little, you know, uh, description in, the, in, in your instructions whenever he got the delivery. So, what does Tommy do? Tommy Tommy strolls up, and he was driving a nice car. He was driving like a two- or three-year-old Camaro, and, and he, he drives up to the front door to Ritz-Carlton to deliver a pizza. Needless to say, that is not what you do. But as he's there, there's three men that come out, right? And this is what happens at the Ritz-Carlton. They are expecting for you to come, right? There's one guy that's going to come. He's parked your car. You pop the trunk. There's one guy that's going to take your bags, and there's another guy that's going to go and help you check in. Expectantly waiting. Now, we deliver pizzas. We're supposed to go around back to the service elevator so nobody sees us, right? Because you're in that goofy Domino's uniform. But Tommy didn't. He went right up to the front door. But you know, that's how they treat you. They're expectantly waiting for you to come. How will Jesus find you today if he would come? Tomorrow or the next day? It's a perpetual state of readiness. It doesn't matter what time you drive up to the Ritz Carlton, they're ready for you. Just a, trying to get an illustration of what Jesus is trying to say here. This is the kind of service that the master in the parable always enjoyed. The quality of their service was a joy to their master's heart. Jesus said, blessed are these servants who are expectantly waiting. In other words, they are highly favored and here the parable takes an unexpected turn. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. In other words, he is so joyful at what he has found when he came home. In the middle of the night, his servants are ready for him, expectantly waiting for him. That He actually tells them to sit down. He takes his robe and tucks it in his belt and he serves them. This was the master's blessing on the ready servants who watched and waited for his coming. Now, what master would ever wear a servant's clothing or invite his servants to sit down to his own feast? What master would do that? Certainly not many leaders in our world today. What master would ever make himself nothing by taking the form of of a servant. Well, a master like Jesus, of course. You know, he is the master. He is the Lord 
of all creation. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This Jesus, this Lord of all, this Master of all, would wear the weakness of His people by taking on the flesh of their humanity. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus, who would strip His robes to wash the feet of His disciples. Jesus, who would serve as their substitute by dying on the cross for their sins. He has invited us to sit down at the table where He feeds our needy souls. Now we wait for him to come, ready and waiting for the day when we will enter the fullness of our master's joy. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. We are to be waiting. Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We are to be expectantly waiting like someone who knows their house is going to be broken into. That's where, that's where Jesus, he's unpacking this for us with all these different illustrations. And in verse 39 says this, but know this, that if the master of the house had known it, what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Again, another picture, are you expectantly waiting? Sorry, I know this is probably not all that spiritual, but the, every time I've read this, and I read it hundreds of times this week, I go right to home alone. <laughs> right? He knew when the thieves were coming, and he was going to be ready, and he was going to protect the house. I know it's not all that spiritual, but this is the, the point that I think Jesus is trying to get. Like, if... If the master knows when, you're, if he knows when he's going to be robbed, he's going to make sure that things are going to be good. But the thing is, is, we don't know when he comes back. So we should be perpetually ready. And then Jesus puts the rest, the idea of knowing when he will return, and that's in verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Expectations means that you've kind of figured it out. I expect him to come tomorrow at 2 p.m. Nope, it's not happening. It's not happening. So Peter then asks the question. Of course, who else would ask questions in this group but Peter, right? Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, for us or for all? You know what? Jesus never answered the question. I've read a lot of speculation about this, and I'm just going to say that Jesus never answered the question because I think so much of it is speculation. But he, he responded with a question of his own. Verse 42, And the Lord said, 
Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them portion of food in the proper time? Jesus was still talking about servants and masters, but in a slightly different emphasis. In the parable about the, the, the wedding, he's like, you're expectantly waiting for him. That was a parable about the wedding. They were praised for, for being watchful, right? For, for expectantly waiting for him. Here, the servant is praised for his faithfulness. In other words, the, the master has left. He's given them charge over the household. And will you be faithful in service to the master? Even when he's gone. Kind of like Jesus is right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Will you be ser- faithful in service to him? Jesus should find us faithfully serving when he returns. Once again, the master is away, and one of his servants has been given the task of managing the household. And the servant managed well, the house would flourish, and he would receive his master's praise. Jesus said in verses 43 and 44, Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. All his possessions. In the new heavens and new earth, it's all his possessions. An example from the Bible is Joseph, right? Joseph, who because of his faithful service was promoted to the head of Potiphar's house. Because of his faithful service, he was promoted. The general principle is that faithful servants gain their master's reward. They gain their master's reward. Right, this, this idea that, that one day we have this wonderful reward. That I'm just making a general statement in the sense that he's removing the presence of sin. And there's all kinds of different passages in the Bible where we can look at different rewards and, and different things like that, but they're not in here. I, I just want to focus on the thing that I know that's going to happen, that, that he's going to take away the presence of sin. However, we are not the masters of the house, right? We're not the masters of the house. And in context of the entire teaching of chapter 12, it's easy to see Jesus is continuing his discussion about our money and possessions. Faithfully serving will lead us to use our resources to benefit others. To benefit others. We're not consistently thinking about ourselves, we're thinking of others and how we may benefit them. Because everything we have, after all, is just on loan from God. Here Jesus is teaching about being rich towards God, seeking the kingdom and giving to the needy, which he already taught us about previously. If you are a faithful steward of your possessions, you will gain your master's reward. Charles Spurgeon said this, May the Lord keep you waiting, working, watching, that when he comes, you may have the blessedness of entering upon some larger, higher nobler service than you could accomplish now, for which you were preparing by the lowlier and more arduous service of this world. In other words, that you were working and doing things in this world, preparing for the reward of one day living in his kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. Will you be ready for that kind of responsibility or not? Will you be a faithful servant here on earth? I mean, this is kind of like the idea of you know, where James tells us 
you know, I will show you my faith by my works, by what I do. Like, it's, it's the whole book of James, but to, to narrow it down, it's, it's, I'll show you who I trust in and what I believe by what I do. It's not the way I justify myself. It's not the way that I earn my way to heaven, but it shows you whose I am, right? It shows you whose I am. But sadly, not all servants are faithful. You know, just kind of this idea when the boss is away, the workers will play mentality. If the boss catches you, usually it just means you get back to work, right? But the situation that Jesus described has much, was much more serious. Let's pick it up in verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on that day, and, and when he does not expect him, and at the hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So Jesus is saying that the unfaithful servant squanders what the master gives him for his own good pleasure, neglecting those under their care, living with the mindset that the master is, is not coming anytime soon. Like, I, I don't have to worry about that. He's not coming anytime soon as as those that are living in 2024, we could look back over 2,000 years and say, he's not coming anytime soon. I don't have to worry about that. I mean, many people live this way today, which should not surprise us because um, Peter tells us this will, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Yes, they are. And that's God's grace to us that it does. That's God's grace to us that it does. This same unfaithful servant takes advantage of the time that God is giving them to repent. You know why things are going along as, as they were started in, in some respects other than what sin has affected is because he's given us time to repent. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness or forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Yes, we should be expectantly waiting, but for all those that we love dearly and know deeply that don't know the Lord, we should be also, can you just hang on a couple more days or save my loved one? That's a faithful servant, going and telling others, serving and loving, showing being the hands and feet of Christ, being the light, being the salt of the earth. I mean, these are, these are matters of serious self-examination. Do I believe that Jesus is coming soon, or do I live as if he has been delayed? Am I using my possessions for the good of others? In the glory of God, or am I careless in my stewardship, using things mainly for myself? Am I teaching others the grace of God, or am I silent about my faith? These are good tests of our readiness for Christ's return. See, there will be a day of judgment. Here, here Jesus describes the terrible fate of an unfaithful steward who is unprepared for his master's coming. He will be cut to pieces. 
Jesus continues his warning to those who know and who don't know. In verses 47 through 48, And that servant who knew his master's will, will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, not, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Here we learn that judgment is according to knowledge. The more a servant knows about what his master requires, the more serious the sin is of failing to obey, to obey. And the more strictly he will be punished for any unfaithfulness. The same principle holds true for the final judgment, which is what the parable is really about. So we really kind of have to, in some way, understand who he's talking about, right? And I spent too much time, maybe not too much time. I say too much time because there's so many differing opinions. So can I just, and I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to stand here and say, thus says this. I'm going to ask you to go and read your Bibles on your own, because you should be good Bereans, Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And, and here, because you're, you're trying to figure out, like, wait a minute, unfaithful servant, um, is that a, a believer or a non-believer? Because if he's talking about a believer, then there's forgiveness there. If he's talking about an unbeliever, okay, he's cut to pieces. That's some harsh things. Like, he's trying to show you what it means to be separated by God, from God. But if you look within the context, you have three people. Look within the context of chapter 12. He describes three people. The first one is the one that shows that knows, but just absolutely doesn't care and is going to live the way they want. I mean, if you look at what he's already taught in chapter 12, that kind of looks like the person that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, is it not? Like they have a sense of knowing, but they're just going to ignore it. They're just going to ignore it. And we've got to remember that he's within the context of teaching, right? He just come off the woes, so that means the Pharisees and the, right, they're there. The, the teachers of the law, they're there. The disciples are there. The, the crowd that's pressing in on him are there. And what was he talking about at the beginning of chapter 13? Do not let the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to leaven up your whole salvation, right? To leaven up everything. So maybe those that he's talking about are those that know are the Pharisees, the hypocrites, and they're living as hypocrites. And those that don't know are maybe those that are his being taught. Because so many commentators want to turn this into the leaders of the church. And it's like, but whenever you look at this and, and you read this, is he talking about believers or unbelievers? And I'm thinking, although we're not perfectly faithful, that he's mostly talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about the one that knows that just absolutely does whatever he wants. He talks about the one that knows but does not live expectantly and, and faithfully serving. And the one that knows a little and still doing the same. Food for thought, guys. I mean, I, I, we'll go get in a room and I'll get out all my 30 commentators and we'll, go, we'll, we'll figure it out. But they really are divided on this. But if you just sit down and read what the Word says, it, it just seems to me... This is what Jesus has been talking about all through this chapter. That possibly this is what's happening. So he's coming back around and saying, don't live as a hypocrite. 
Don't be an unfaithful servant, one who knows so much and is going to be challenged and, and judged by all that you know. And those that know little are going to be challenged, you know, judged a little bit less. But in the end, we're all going to be judged. Maybe that's where I should have left the thrust of everything, is we're all going to be judged. Notice that no matter how much we know or do not know, every unfaithful servant is still condemned. In this parable, some receive a heavier beating and some receive a lighter beating, but they are all counted among the unfaithful. So it'll be at the final judgment when the faithful in Christ will enter his glory, but all the unfaithful will be banished from the presence of God forever. The most severe penalty in this passage is not to be cut into pieces or to receive a beating, but to be counted unfaithful by God and therefore condemned to everlasting destruction in hell. These parables about servants and masters are some of the weightiest parables in the Gospels. They bring us face to face with our destiny and show us that we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Who can say that we have always been at the ready? Or that we have made the best use of all the good things that God has given us? Or that today we are living in full expectation of the coming of Christ? This is why we need a Savior. A Savior to suffer the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Jesus Christ is the true and faithful servant who took our unfaithfulness upon himself when he died on the cross and then buried it in the grave before coming back to life. Christianity is not a, a religion of faithful, for faithful servants, but a gospel for unfaithful servants because sometimes we find ourselves in that place. It's the good news that although that sometimes we are striving and we were working, we're expectantly waiting, but we fail in our service to him, but we know that we had one that perfectly served in our place. And that's Jesus. It's the good news. Now, having done everything that indeed to be done for our salvation, Jesus calls us back into God's service. He calls us back into his service. He tells us to be watchful and faithful as we wait for his coming. And then he gives us the concluding exhortation. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This statement is in keeping with the principle Jesus had just explained. The more you have been given, the greater your responsibility to use it for his glory is. And the thing is, is if today you're sitting here today, and you experience the grace of God, and he's caused you to be born again, if you are in Christ today, you have been given so much. You've been given so much. Jesus is coming. Will you be ready? Will Jesus find you expectantly waiting and faithfully serving? Will Jesus find you expectantly waiting and faithfully serving. How will that day find you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Yes, there are some severe warnings within this passage today. Lord, I pray that if your spirit convicted somebody that they 
know that today they can, they can repent, that they can turn and trust in you and, and thank you and give you glory for the fact that you faithfully served in our place, that you were perfect, that you did not sin, that your righteousness can be credited to us just if we would turn to you and cry out. Father, I pray that you would give ears to hear. Lord, that you would change hearts. Lord, help us. Be ready. Help us to wait expectantly and faithfully serve until that day, that glorious day when you return and you remove the presence of sin in our lives. Lord, thank you so much that as your children, we can hold that promise close to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.